Welcome. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises Podcast. My name is Rachel Amaday. Thank you for being here. What an amazing week it has been for me just getting to interview my sister earlier this week and hang out with her and her kids, which I am sure you heard a few of them in the background during that podcast. Um, as we were talking about the role of women and mothers, it was absolutely appropriate that there were kids uh, running around Um and you know, it's Friday. It's what I call, um, what many call preparation day, preparation for the Sabbath. And, uh, I get to talk once again about some evidence that we have that scripture is accurate and true. This has been, I'm so glad I decided to do this series. I just have to say what a blessing it has been to know that the word of God has, is just faithful from Genesis to Revelation, and that we have archaeological and historical evidence that these places and peoples and cultures really did exist and existed the way that the Bible describes them. And to me, gosh, if I were an atheist and I was doing this series right now, I'd be pretty blown away. Um, I, I really believe this is a series that um, we need to send to our atheist friends and we need to share with other people. Um, I believe for a lot of these, I have made them part of the paid subscription because this is kind of extra content. But a few like this one I wanted to make available. I want to make available to everybody Um just to kind of whet the appetite of those people out there who might be searching for, hey, I don't have, listen, even I don't have as much research time as I would like. I wish I could do this 24-7. That is actually kind of one of my goals. So if you continue to support me monthly by upgrading the your podcast subscription, it helps a great deal. And I'm so grateful because what I would love to do is spend all of my time researching the Bible, um, information, content, proofs, all these things that I've been sharing on this podcast. Um, I wish I had more time, but I know most people don't have the time to go do this research. And so when non-believers say there's not evidence that the Bible is true, you just kind of go, well, I just believe on faith, right? And that's your answer and you move on. Hey, listen, they're wrong about that. And I want to show you how they're wrong about that. Not only is there more and more and more evidence that the Bible is true, the more we dig into science, but um, you can have the information you need to be able to pull that out or send people this way uh, who tell you that sort of thing because it's just not the case at all. And I'll tell you this too, I have been doing some digging and some research into the quantum field and um, concepts like mentalism. And I have to tell you what they're finding in the space of physics and quantum physics it blows atheism out of the water. And I, I really believe in the next four to five years, um, atheism will have to die. Anyone who is intellectually honest will have to agree that a mind, a, a conscious mind had to precede all matter. Um, because that's what they're finding in physics and that's what they're finding in the quantum space. And so because these scientific discoveries have been made and because these theories are out there, 
I do think we are we should be seeing the death of atheism in the next four to five years, just given science. Isn't that exciting? The science of things is telling us that a mind, not just information, we already kind of had agreed that it's it from bay, you know, um, that information has to come first before matter, but it can't just be information. It has to be information that is given context. And the only way for that to take place is for there to be a mind and everything is mental. Absolutely everything is held together by some sort of mind. By the way, in physics, they are also describing the fact that you are not the mind, okay? You can be part of the mind, the mind can be in you, but you are not the mind. So they are blasting through the concept that we are gods and they are saying, listen, there's a separation between the great mind and the great observer and all of us, um, even though we're part of it and it can be in us, it is not us and we are not it. And so, wow, can you believe that that physics and philosophy are finding these things to be true? Well, I can because the Bible tells us it's true, but it has taken all of this time for us to get far enough along in the sciences to begin to understand these things. And so I'm going to be recommending some really difficult books, hopefully in the next few weeks, hopefully being able to talk about that. Also, we're going to talk about hell and what does the Bible actually say about it? Ooh, there are going to be tough, challenging content in that particular series, but, um, in the meantime, what are we talking about today? We're, I am presenting more proof, you know, so a lot of the, um, evidences I've been giving in the last few proofs in the proof series have been archaeological evidence of stories from the Old Testament. Really astonishing, astonishingly accurate. So many of these evidences, these pieces of evidence have been, but we haven't gotten to the New Testament yet. And I do believe that because we have four Gospels, by the way, the number four and Jesus go together. So it is no surprise to me that we have four accurate Gospels. But because we've been able to kind of scientifically analyze the fact that these four Gospels, they don't all tell the exact same story, which you want. Actually, you want eyewitness testimonies to be unique and different. In fact, if you had all four Gospels telling the exact same story, that would be evidence of a conspiracy to tell people that Jesus existed, not a true tale. And so the fact that we have four slightly different testimonies about Yeshua tells us this guy really existed. We have really, really good, accurate eyewitness testimony that um, people who do this for a living, who get, gather eyewitness testimony for the living, they say these four gospels ring incredibly true when you're collecting eyewitness testimony. So I just have to say just the fact that the Bible itself has four different witnesses the and the way that they speak about Christ is plenty of evidence of his existence. But what about the stories? And what about the locations that Yeshua is discussing? Well, today I'd like to talk about two different pools, one in particular. And we're going to talk about the pool at Bethesda and the pool of Siloam, okay? Let's start with the pool at Bethesda, John 5, 1 through 9. Let's st we start in scripture. I'll tell you the story and then I'll tell you what they found, okay? So John 5, 1 through 9 says this, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. 
One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Okay, end quote there. So the the pool here at Bethesda is certainly described in some detail, and for a very long time there was no archaeological evidence of this pool existing. In 1964, archaeologists were working at St. Anne's Church, which is north of the Temple Mount, and they found... You can guess it, an extensive pool complex that had a pool described just as John describes it. Now, it took a while to excavate and discover. Because years of buildings had been built over the top of the pools, these buildings included a pagan temple at one time and a Byzantine church. Um, So it took more than 100 years to accurately identify the pool. And this pool was originally found by Konrad Schick, a German archaeologist in the 19th century. So I just have to say, after being in Jerusalem, I have to tell you just how deep the layers go. There were a couple of locations we were taken to where we could see just how much had been built on top of the Jerusalem that existed in Yeshua's time. And it is stories of levels. Okay. So they're constantly making new discoveries there because there's been so much built on top of that city. In fact, when you go, there are very few places where you are actually walking on the streets that Yeshua walked because the streets have been built up so much over time. So it's really no wonder that it took them this long to find a pool because a pool would have been probably built even into the ground and it was much lower. Um, And at Jesus' time, I mean, since then, so much had been built on top of it. So it's it makes sense that it took a long time to excavate and actually identify the pool. Now, John also recounts a story about healing at the Pool of Siloam. This pool was discovered in 2005, so fairly recently, and it was quickly identified as the pool that's mentioned in John. Now, many believe that both of these pools had a mikveh aspect to them. Now, a mikveh is a ritual bath that would be taken before entering the temple, etc. So they would take these ritual baths, and I would almost call them baptisms, where they're trying to be cleaned and renewed, and they're stepping, you know, they're about to step into the temple, so they want to be clean, right? And this is why to this very day, I think it's important to take some care about how you look before you go to worship with congregation, because there's a pattern set here that You should care when you are approaching the Lord in a congregation of people, when you're approaching him, um, taking care that you're clean and that you're ready, just show some respect, right? You want to look like how you feel about the activity you're about to do. So I'm not saying you got to, you know, dress Sunday best 1950s, you know, hat and all. I'm just saying it does, it does kind of make a difference that you show up and you have cared about the event that you're attending and you show other people that you care about the event you're attending. And this, you can find this set up here with these, there were baths and pools around the temple to get people ready. So both the pool of Siloam and the pool of Bethesda have this ritual bath aspect to them. Um, The Bethesda pool in John is described as having five porticos, which suggests a five-sided pool. 
When the site there was excavated, it revealed a rectangular pool with two basins separated by a wall, making it five-sided. There was a long tradition of healing at the site. So how that would work and what John is talking about there is that the first person to enter the pool when the waters were stirred would be healed. And I think there's some, you know, discussion about the angels would come and stir up the water and then the very first person in would be healed. This is so fascinating. Um, Okay, so going back to the idea of the mikveh, the southern basin at the Pool of Bethesda, because remember there's two basins now, right? They're separated in the middle by a wall. The southern basin had broad steps with landings, suggesting a bathing area, while the northern basin was a reservoir that likely fed the southern basin with fresh water flowing south through the dam between them. This is smart, right? You want to have fresh water in there if people are bathing and cleaning themselves before they're heading into the temple or heading to do what they're going to do. So they there was a way for fresh water to be brought into the area of bathing. We have other writings that are confirming the the pool's existence. The Dead Sea Scrolls contained the Copper Scroll, which was written between AD 25 and AD 68. This describes a list of locations in Jerusalem, and it includes a pool called Beth Ashdathayin, located near a porch. Healing pools. I just think what a fascinating concept. You know, we talk about baptism by water a lot. This concept of baptism by water happened a lot more often in ancient times than we do today and we think of today. And really water, anytime something was becoming new, there was like a water baptism into that new life or that that new purpose. There was also, you know, when Samuel was anointing the king, they would um, they would cover their heads with oil. And the king would walk through the town and everyone would know he was anointed king because he would smell so good from the anointing oil. Okay, so this is kind of this cleansing or new purpose, um, you know, and while it's not exactly the same thing, I just think the concept of smelling good or, you know, being renewed, uh, this, this was really important in ancient culture. And so they understood it very well. I love that the water here at the Pool of Siloam and the Pool of Bethesda, I love that it's healing. It's more than just quenching a thirst. It's bringing life. It's new life. It's restored life. It's changed life, just like Yeshua says he is going to do. So isn't it interesting that in John at the Pool of Bethesda, there's this man who he has had such a problem for 38 years. That's almost as long as I've been alive. That's a long time. And then he's been waiting at this pool to try to get in there, um, to be the first person in, to get that healing. And the true water of life comes along and heals him right there. That is such a beautiful and perfect picture. And what a good reminder. You know, I don't know if you have been having to practice patience in your life. I certainly have been. I've been praying for certain things for a very long time, not 38 years, but a long time. And I just feel like I am just, some days it feels like I'm just hitting my head against a brick wall. I'm so expectant. I want things to come. I want them to happen now. And God is clearly saying either not now or wait. And I don't want to wait. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have that patience on the Lord. I don't know what I'm waiting for, but You know, this man was waiting for the ultimate savior. And because he waited that long and because he wasn't able to get in the pool first for all of that time, 
he got to meet Jesus face to face. So I have to tell you, if you are waiting, if you're waiting on the Lord, I promise you, whatever it is you're waiting for, his plan is far better than you can imagine. It will be greater than you can imagine. It is more than you can imagine. Now, if you're waiting and you're not listening to what he has to say, take a minute and listen. He might be telling you no, or he might be telling you to do something different. But boy, if you've been in prayer over something, you're just like, I know this has to be the heart of the Lord. This is who he is. And you have not been receiving what you were looking for. What if, what if you're waiting to have the greatest story, the one where you meet God in a way you never could have imagined? So be encouraged today. Not only, once again, do we get to discuss an area that's been excavated and looked at by archaeologists and confirmed, yes, this is the place. This is the place mentioned in John. This place is real. And the naysayers were wrong once again. (laughs) But a place where waiting expectantly on the Lord um, has turned out so beautifully for some of the least of these. Um, A good reminder that God has not forgotten you. All right. Well, I'm going to go continue to prepare for the Sabbath. I hope you will be doing the same today. May you have a blessed and peaceful Sabbath. May you hear from the Lord. May he just shine his face upon you. And y'all, we will be back next week. Till next time.